Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bookish Babbles, the podcast where we reread our favorite books and chat about them. I'm your host, Allison, and without further ado, let's get started. Hey guys, I'm alive. I'm finally recording. Woo! <laughs> Hello and uh, welcome. Welcome guys to episode 45 of Bookish Babbles. Today we are talking about uh, chapters 25 to 27 of Mockingjay by Suzanne Collins. This is the end guys. I'm, I'm not okay. <laughs> That's why I needed a break. Um, if you didn't listen to uh, last week's episode, I kind of took an unplanned break and then I and I ended up just doing a random episode with Sarah last week so go listen to that we had a lot of fun recording that one as we always do whenever we record episodes together but yeah this was the week I was finally ready to just sit down and talk about um these last three chapters of Mockingjay because whoo it's a lot to unpack and also um trigger warning uh, for this episode, especially in parts of chapter 27, for things like, you know, um, for the, for things like, you know, some, a care, a certain character attempting to, uh, unalive themselves. So yeah, just, um, you know, t- take care when you, uh, read, uh, these chapters or if you're listening to this episode and if you need to skip it, then I totally 100% respect that. And, um, I will see you in the next episode. Here you I I didn't think that through. I can't see anyone. Anyway, um I need to stop overthinking this. Um But yeah, we're at the end and I mean, I, I obviously there's going to be some more uh episodes that are Hunger Games related cuz we obviously have the book wrap-up episode to do as well as talk about the movies and i'm sure i all will make plenty of content revolving around uh the ballad of songbirds and snakes movie uh, like but this is the last time that i will be talking into a void by myself about chapters of a book in the hunger games series and it, it it feels weird to say the least um okay we can do this i can get through it what else do i do to start off these shows cuz clearly uh, it's been a while since i've recorded an episode by myself um i read chain of thorns which i know i mentioned last week but oh my god i read chain of thorns ah and at the same time i also watched uh season two of shadow and bone and i'm still processing my feelings guys go watch shadow and bone right now and then after you watch it um keep it playing in the background on repeat because netflix netflix if you are listening do not fucking cancel shadow and bone not before we get the crows in all their glory for the ice court heist okay mm-hmm. oh we're all we're all on the same page okay cool anyway um should probably just get into it because there's a lot to cover i got over 20 pages of notes guys hey this took forever to prep for that's actually another reason why i had to hold up on uh, recording this episode because I just need more time to prepare physically, emotionally, mentally, just all the fun stuff. Anyway, okay, let's get into this. I'm procrastinating again. So uh, last time we reunited with Tigress, which was about the closest to happiness I felt while reading that part of the book. Um, we think the war is about over and everyone we love dies and I am scarred for life alongside with Katniss, 
you know, pretty sure we're all on the same page for that one, though. Um, this week, uh, the, the war is over. There's the shit to unpack and deal with in the aftermath. And uh, healing is difficult and messy, but possible. This is hard to sum up because, you know, despite uh, being like at the end, a lot does happen in these last few chapters. So with that being said, let's just let's just get into chapter 25. Okay, so there's a bit of a time jump uh, between this chapter and where we left off because, you know, being close to a fiery explosion that kills your sister will knock you out. Who knew? <laughs> okay, so and in classic uh, me fashion, I'm going to just uh, read a bit of the opening of this chapter because it's so it's 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 good. It's it's so sad, but so good. Real or not real, I am on fire. The balls of flame that erupted from the parachutes shot over the barricades, through the snowy air, and landed in the crowd. I was just turning away when one caught me, ran its tongue up the back of my body, and transformed me into something new, a creature as unquenchable as the sun. A fire mutt knows only a single sensation, agony. No sight, no sound, no feeling except the unrelenting burning of flesh. Perhaps there are periods of unconsciousness, but what... But what can it matter if I can't find refuge in them? I am Sinna's bird, ignited, flying frantically to escape something inescapable. The feathers of flame that grow from my body, beating my wings, only fans the blaze. I consume myself, but to no end. Finally, my wings begin to falter. I lose height, and gravity pulls me into a foamy sea the color of Phoenix's eyes. I float on my back, which continues to burn beneath the water, but the agony uh, quiets to pain. When I am adrift and unable to navigate, that's when they come, the dead. The ones I love fly as birds in the open sky above me, soaring, weaving, calling me to join them. I want so badly to follow them, but the seawater saturates my wings, making it impossible to lift them. The ones I hate have taken to the water, horribly scaled things that tear my salty flesh with needle teeth, biting again and again, dragging me beneath the surface. The small white bird tingled in pink that the small white bird tinged in pink dives down, buries her claws in my chest and tries to keep me afloat. No, Katniss, no, you can't go. But the ones I hate are winning, and if she clings to me, she'll be lost as well. Prim, let go. And finally she does. Deep in the water, I'm deserted by all. There's only the sound of my breathing, the enormous effort it takes to draw the water in, push it out of my lungs. I want to stop. I try to hold my breath, but the sea forces its way in and out again against my will. Let me die. Let me follow the others. I beg whatever holds me here. There's no response. Trapped for days, years, centuries maybe. Dead, but not allowed to die. Alive, but as good as dead. So alone that any one anything no matter how loathsome would be welcome but when i finally have a visitor it's sweet morphling coursing through my veins easing the pain lightening my body so that it rises back toward the air and rests again in the foam foam i am floating in foam i can feel it beneath the tips of my fingers cradling parts of my naked body there's much pain but there's also something like reality 
the sandpaper of my throat, the smell of bird medicine from the first arena, the sound of my mother's voice, these things frightened me. And I tried to return to the, to the deep to make sense of them, but there's no going back. Gradually, I'm forced to accept who I am, a badly burnt girl with no wings, with no fire, and no sister. To sum it all up, um, no one is okay, least of all Katniss. Um, also, did anyone else, um, when they read this series for the first time, like, not grasp that Prim was dead? Like, until, like, that last line? Because I remember when I read this, like, I, I don't know, I didn't pay close enough attention to what, you know, the words were saying. Like, I remember being in my eighth grade classroom. I think I was in, like, study hall, end of the day, I don't know. Uh, the point is, we had some free time, and I was reading Mockingjay, uh, my brain must have been like partially turned off because there was stuff going on around me and I did not grasp what had happened at the end of chapter 24. Um, and I remember like going back to reread that part and just, you know, being in shock. Like, I, I don't even remember reacting to it. I think it was just too unbelievable. Like, it, it didn't feel like something the real that had actually happened. And <laughs> I may have gone through a phase of grief myself there. Um, because like I was I was in denial for quite a bit and who can blame me because the whole reason this whole thing started which was Prim getting reaped and Katniss volunteering for her like Katniss her main motivation from the beginning of the book is protecting her family Prim especially because all the way back in book one Katniss says she loves Prim more than anything in the world during her first uh, interview with Caesar and throughout the series, Katniss, you know, she adopts more people into her inner circle and her family grows and she wants to protect all of them. But uh, Prim is still above everyone. So Katniss's motivation, the thing she was fighting for the hardest was keeping Prim alive and safe. And all that was for nothing. Like Prim was quite literally marked for death when her name was drawn at the reaping. And all Katniss did was buy her time. I am fine, guys. I am fine. So yeah, Katniss is um, chilling in bed because she quite literally became a girl on fire and, you know, uh, burn wounds as bad as hers. They, they, they take a second to heal. And uh, Katniss uses the time to be unconscious for as much as she possibly can because reality is understandably quite painful for her right now. And... As she describes it as, um, the morphling opens the door to the dead and alive alike. Hamish, yellow and unsmiling, Cinna stitching a new wedding dress, Deli prattling on about the niceness of people, and my father singing all four stanzas of the hanging tree, and reminds me that my mother, who sleeps on a chair between shifts, isn't, isn't to know about it. I just feel like getting emotional over the fact that Cinna was mentioned again, and... This is probably the last time Deli will make an appearance. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see by the end of the episode. Um, Coin, Coin even makes a visit, which I knowing what we know in hindsight, which is that you know, a Coin totally made sure uh, Prim died on purpose. Um, she wanted to make sure that Katniss was emotionally broken so that she, you know, uh, would uh lose the will to live just a little bit because you know Katniss can't. Be a, a big uh, polit cause you a uh, political trouble if she's not excited about life. Oopsie. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we'll get more into that later. Uh, 
Uh, Coin says to Katniss, like, I saved him for you, which, you know, meaning Snow. Uh, perfectly reasonable uh, to assume that Katniss blames Snow for what happened to Prim. I mean, after all, it had been a capital ship that dropped the bombs, right? Right? <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that more. Um, but basically, this is Coin still playing and manipulating Katniss, you know, making sure her anger is focused on Snow and not on any shady shit Coin may or may not have done. Spoiler alert! Totally doing shady shit. Anyway, um, Katniss is still silent, seemingly unable to speak, and it puzzles the doctors because as far as they can tell, there's nothing physically holding her back from being able to talk, but it's uh, Dr. Aurelius, 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 who by the way is also a totally underrated character that was cut from the movies. Uh, he ends up doing a lot for Katniss, despite like his short appearance in this book. Um, but anyway, he proposes the idea that Katniss has become a, quote, mental AVOX, um, that her silent is a result of the shock of losing Prim, which, you know, is fair. So his recommendation is for everyone to just leave Katniss alone and she will eventually speak up when she's ready to. Yet people still feel the need to talk to her and tell her all the stuff, which, which I know is important because it helps, you know, us, the readers catch up to what's been happening. So, recap time. Um, the day the we learned that the day the parachute bombs went off was the day that the rebels won the war. So, yay, good for them. Uh, Coin is now leading everyone, so not so good for them. Uh, she's sent out troops to put down any leftover groups still fighting for the capital. Uh, Snow's being held and awaiting for his execution. Good for him, I guess. Um... As for the survivors of the Star Squad, um, Pollux and Cressida have been sent out to the districts to cover wreckage of the war, which makes sense, you know, going to doc- going out there, got to document stuff for history. And they've proven to be really good at what they do. But part of me can't help but wonder, like, if this is Coin's way of making sure that Katniss has the least amount of people around her that she trusts without, you know, raising any suspicions. Because while Katniss liked uh, likes and I think you know trust um, Cressida and Pollux you know after all they just after everything they went through they're not Katniss's family nor are they did she know them from 12 growing up so I, I don't know if you want to lessen Katniss's support network they would be the ones to start with since they would raise the least amount of susp- suspicion for being suddenly sent away plus I have a feeling that out of everyone in Katniss's circle of trust, uh, Cressida is the least caught up in her grief. I mean, she's definitely grieving because she still lost friends, half her crew. Um, but as far as we know, she didn't lose anyone as close and meaningful to her like Katniss did at this point in time. Um, plus, Cressida is also pretty pragmatic and is more capable of compartmentalizing than most so she can kind of think more clearly and logically and i think had she stuck around in the aftermath and saw you know the kind of things coin was doing she would spot she'd be likely to spot the red flags and very likely to clue katniss in and speaking of red flags gail is also not there because you know instead of being there for his supposed best friend when she needs support the most he's fucking off in chew taking out the last remaining capital loyal peacekeepers um so screw that but more importantly uh, we get an update on pita 
Um, he had also made it to the city circle and is also recovering from burn wounds. So I guess the costume Cinna made for them was kind of foreshadowing. <laughs> and as for Mrs. Everdeen, rather than shutting down this time when a member of her family dies, she buries herself in her in her work. Um, Caddis is the opposite. She has no work, so all she can do is shut down and sit in her feelings. Um, so when Katniss is released from the hospital, she's given a room to stay in the president's mansion, which I'm sure does not feel weird whatsoever. Totally being sarcastic. Um, I really hope no one made Pete sleep there because I'm pretty sure he was beaten and or tortured there at least a couple times. Was it primarily the tribute center? I don't know. I'm too lazy to go back and look. Plus, it's sad and depressing enough. The poor boy's PTSD has got to be going crazy right now. Uh, anyway, uh, Katniss's mom is reverting to being a terrible parent again. Um, because instead of being there for her daughter, she spends all her time at work literally eating and sleeping at the hospital. Like, that means it falls on Hamish to be the responsible parent since Boggs isn't here anymore. I miss you, Boggs. Come back. Seriously, if Hamish is seen as the responsible parent, then you are doing something wrong, Mrs. Everdeen. And you would think that making sure someone eats their meals and takes their medications would be a fairly simple task. Wrong. Now when it's Katniss always make things hard as possible for everyone ever Dean on the case. Because she takes up her habits from 13 by just hiding in random places. And it's unclear if, you know, Hamish finds her because he went because she went back in her room though it's not clear it's because she went back on her own or whatever but anyway so no one is doing well least of all Katniss uh Dr. Aurelius uh visit I'm just gonna call him Dr. A Dr. A um visits uh, Katniss daily um officially he's there for therapy sessions when in actuality he ends up taking a nap most of the time because uh Katniss really isn't in the mood for talking um but he does, but you know, he still checks in as like, but he still checks in, asks her if she wants to talk and listens to her when she says she doesn't want to talk, which is, I think is good therapy, especially for someone like Katniss at this point in time. And he doesn't say, you know, things like, oh, you're totally safe. One day you'll be happy again. Because, you know, not something someone that traumatized wants to hear um, at that point. Um... And, you know, at some point, uh, Snow's trial happens, and of course he's found guilty, duh. Uh, Katniss, um, sees her Mockingjay suit laid out and realizes, huh, execution day must be coming soon. Um, and Katniss is not quite attached to reality, to say the least. Um, she's continuing her wandering. Uh, she goes some- and eventually she winds up somewhere she hasn't gone before. And she smells roses and realizes, huh, it must be near a garden. And she finds two guards, uh, not peacekeepers, but rebel guards. And judging from the way um, their uniforms have been very, have a very like thrown together look, they're not even soldiers from 13. They are like real, like rebel, rebel soldiers from the districts. And specifically, um, they're guarding a door to the greenhouse. And Katniss wants to go in there for reasons I don't think she can quite grasp yet. I mean, her internal monologue says that it's because she wants to get a rose to place on Snow, you know, right before she shoots him. But 
I think subconsciously she knows he's there. Like, she knows that uh, he has an answer that she needs, even if she's not ready for it. But uh, too bad, Katniss. It's important. And unfortunately, Snow has something to tell you that you do, in fact, need to hear. Um, Naturally, the guards aren't going to let Katniss in, you know, president's orders. And once again, in a way, makes sense because we're going to be all like, no one visits Snow. He's a dangerous man. I don't know what that voice was. Um, Like, this wouldn't raise red flags for most people, but uh, especially if they don't really know Coin, but I think Coin wouldn't want Katniss specifically talking to Snow because Snow at this point would have figured out Coin's game and, you know, uh, can't risk Katniss learning that from Snow. Um, But luckily, Paler is there and she tells the guards uh, to let Katniss in. And that's even more confirmation that these are not soldiers from 13, because obviously anyone from the districts would respect Paler more than Coin. Uh, Paler's been on the front lines fighting with everyone this whole time. Where have you been, Coin? Oh yeah, that's right, in an underground bunker, making plans to blow up children. Anyway, we'll get there when we get there. Um, So Katniss uh, picks a rose and hears a voice suddenly say to her, Hey, that's a nice one. And of course it's Snow, and he totally talked like that just now. I'm tired from work this week, guys. Can you tell? Like, I'm recording on a Monday. It's only Monday, and I'm already exhausted from this week of work. Okay, where am I? Uh, yeah, it's Snow. So Snow talked. Um, he's sitting on a bench by the wall, and you know, other than the the chains he's wearing, he's in he's fairly comfortably set up. Uh, Katniss theorizes that the reason he's set up like this is because of coin you know um set a trend that hey you know if a president falls from grace they should still be treated better than most war criminals <laughs> well she's already fallen from grace and interesting you would plan for that coin hmm, suspicious In- insert sound that goes that's suspicious <laughs> And you know what's really crazy that this is the last conversation these two have together like like, they had a conversation at the beginning of Catching catching Fire, and now here. Like, there, there's even a line that calls back to this moment um, about, you know, Katniss invading, uh, trespassing on his home like he did at their at her home in the Victor's Village or whatever. But, like, it's, it's crazy that there's so much buildup and tension between these two that started at the end of book one, really, and they have two proper conversations total yet we know they they thought about each other you know thinking of the other as the biggest threat Katniss for obvious reasons we've been inside her head this whole time and Snow because we know Katniss reminds him of Lucy Gray and you know how can I not now read the their final conversation it's impossible so here we go so it starts on page 356 with Snow saying there are so many things we should discuss but I have a feeling your visit will be brief. So first things first. He begins to cough, and when he removes the handkerchief from his mouth, it's redder. I want to tell you how very sorry I, I am about your sister. Even in my dead-ended, dr- drugged condition, this sends a stab of pain through me, reminding me that there are no limits to his cruelty, and how he will go to his grave trying to destroy me. So wasteful, so unnecessary. Anyone could see the game was over by that point. In fact, I was just about to issue an official surrender when they released those parachutes. 
His eyes are glued on me, unblinking, so as not to miss a second of my reaction. But what he said makes no sense. When they release the parachutes? Well, you... Well, you really didn't think I gave the order, did you? Forget the obvious uh, fact that if I'd been... If I'd had a working hovercraft at my disposal, I'd have been using it to make an escape. But that aside, what purpose could it have served? We both know I am not above killing children, but I'm not wasteful. I take life for very specific reasons, and there was no reason for me to destroy a pen full of capital children. None at all. I wonder if the next fit of coughing is staged so that I can have time to absorb his words. He's lying. Of course he's lying, but there's something struggling to free itself from the lie as well. However, I must concede it was a masterful move on Coin's part. The idea that I was bombing our own helpless children instantly snapped whatever frail allegiance my people still felt to me. There was no real resistance after that. Did you know it aired live? You can see Plutarch's hand there and the parachutes. Well, it's that sort of thinking that you look for in a head game maker, isn't it? Snow dabs the corners of his mouth. I'm sure he wasn't gunning for your sister, but these things happen. I'm not with Snow now. I'm in spe- I'm in special weaponry back in 13 with Gale and Beatty, looking at that design based on Gale's traps that played on human sympathies. The first bomb killed the victims. The second, the rescuers, remembering Gale's words. Beatty and I have been following the same rule book President Snow used when he hijacked PETA. My failure, says Snow was being so slow to grasp Coin's plan to let the capital and districts destroy one another and then step in to take power with 13 barely scratched. Make no mistake, she was intending to take my place right from the beginning. I shouldn't be surprised. After all, it was 13 that started the rebellion that led to the dark days and then abandoned the rest of the districts when the tide turned against it. But I wasn't watching Coin. I was watching you, Mockingjay, and you were watching me. I'm afraid we both have been played for fools. I refuse for this to be true. Some some things even I can't survive. I uttered my first words since my sister's death. I don't believe you. Snow shakes his head in mock disappointment. Oh, my dear Miss Everdeen, I thought we had agreed not to lie to each other. First of all, I literally can't believe we just had a whole chapter where our char- our main character did not speak out loud until, like, the last second of the chapter. And second, oh my god, that is a, that is a quite a bit to unpack. I, you know, I forgot, and it's mostly because I've watched the movie so many times, that Plutarch may have been a suspect in the planning of to, to bomb all those kids, that it wasn't... We all weren't just thinking of Quinn from the get-go, but later in the uh, meeting where all the victors are voting on, you know, who uh, are voting like, oh, should we have one final symbolic Hunger Games, which we'll unpack after break, obviously. Um, but Hamish asks, like, you know, was this Plutarch's idea? And Quinn's like, nope, it was mine. Totally my idea, guys. Like, that kind of clears Plutarch up a little bit and you realize, yeah, no, that's definitely not his, st- his style, but... Yeah, this was definitely Coin's idea, but oh my god. Yeah, we'll unpack all this in the next uh, chapter, but like, uh, there's so so many layers to the scene, and I just love how um, we just have a villain, Snow, who literally was always honest with Katniss. It's crazy, but yeah, anyway, break time.
And we're back. So we picked up right where we left off. Uh, Katniss leaves the greenhouse. Paler is there asking, you know, got what she needed. And she responds by holding up the rose. Uh, Katniss then makes her way back to her room and thinks about, well, well everything. Because it's a lot to digest. Um, Katniss, you know, she doesn't want to believe that Snow is lying. Um, you know, she wants to think the Capitol was behind those bombings. Because, you know, it's an easier story to digest. But Katniss being who she is, she she's not just going to, you know, take the easy story. She's got to ask the rebel in questions, which is why she's a great protagonist. Um, and it's interesting that Snow was the one who initiates her truly uh, questioning and unpacking everything that's happened since Prim died. Um, you know, he never really did lie to her. I guess we can thank Dr. Gall for that one. By the way, I can't wait to see Viola Davis play this character, and yet I am so terrified at the same time to see that. Uh, anyway, so uh, Katniss thinks about, you know, what Snow said, that he, um, what he would do if he had access to a hovercraft, and, you know, he would use it to escape. Plus, we know from reading uh, Ballad and, you know, being inside the man's head, he is a narcissist who sees himself as the most important thing in the world. And as much as he may preach about, you know, doing what's best for the nation, maintaining order, yada, 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 um, he's ultimately looking out for number one. He, he values, values himself above everything and everyone. So that is 100% what he would use his last hovercraft for because, you know, he's a selfish bastard. And... I bet he has at least five or six places with emergency bunk set up where he could, you know, comfortably live out his days. And as Katniss points out, if the hovercraft had truly been occupied by capital loyalists, why uh, didn't they fire on enemy troops at all? Seems suspicious if you, if you ask me. But an argument uh, that can also be made as to why 13 didn't do this is that um, bombing children doesn't seem like something they would do, uh, because, you know, supposedly children are very precious to them since, you know, the pox epidemic led to a birth shortage crisis in 13. So you would think that they would try to keep as many kids alive as possible. And part of why I bring this up is just to point out this really, uh, sad quote on page 360. Um, it says, um, once I had outlived my usefulness, I was expendable. Although I think it's been a long time since I've been considered a child in this war. Ouch. And it feels like no one's really treated Katniss like a child since her father died. You know, who was, and you know who was the first person to acknowledge, oh yeah, Katniss is still a kid because she's 17. A very traumatized kid who has experienced unaliving people, but still a kid. Boggs. God damn, I miss Boggs. Um, he was the only one in 13 who really fought for her. And speaking of Boggs, Katniss recalls what he said to her about how um, if she didn't immediately throw her support for coin, then she's a threat and should be careful. Cause So, you know, more red flags are being raised. Yay! Um, also, she's, uh, she's done exactly what Snow warned uh, Katniss and us about. We just, you know, aren't ready to believe it right away because this information's coming from Snow. We have a bias against him. We don't want to trust him. But he's telling the truth. Because, you know, Coin let the districts and the capital 
fight it out. They drained each other of their resources. Meanwhile, 13 remains strong and powerful, meaning Coin can easily step in and take power while being backed up by nuclear weapons. You know, kind of hard to ignore someone who has that much firepower at their disposal. Also, forgot to say, all these years, and Snow still blames uh, 13 for the first rebellion, and this is why I want a book about the dark days. Like, I, I, I just want to get a glimpse of what the of what that was like. Um, and I'm sure the capital is to blame for the districts wanting to rebel that, you know, being uh, triggered because the capital wasn't treating them fairly, but... But the thought, like, in the capital was, like, the general consensus in the capital was that, you know, the districts, 13 in particular, were the aggressors in that conflict. And I, I know it's a cliche to say that history is written by the winners, but it, it, it's true. It's it's very true. Uh, anyway, so Katniss um, also uh, points out the biggest red flag of the situation, and that's the fact that Prim literally had no business being there in the capital for the invasion because she is still only 13 years old. She's not supposed to be given the title of soldier until she's 14. Still incredibly young for anyone to be a soldier, but but still, in the context of this universe, totally illegal for Prim to be there. Like, I don't know, maybe Prim wanted to be out there helping. Even Katniss thinks that that's in line with something that Prim would want to do. But someone high up would have to approve of that, and Coin definitely would have the power to do so, but there's nothing you can say that will convince me Coin was not hoping Prim would get hurt or, you know, killed, because if a 13-year-old convinces you that she should be allowed to be out there as a medic to help, you send her to base camp, where the main, you know, medical tents are, not to the frontest of front lines! Anyway... Fuck Coin. It's a good thing Katniss catches on, and you know clearly Coin underestimates Katniss. Um, obviously, Katniss is a tad um, overwhelmed by this revelation and needs to talk to someone. Um, options are quite limited, so she ends up going to Hamish because uh, he and Peta are the least likely to rat her out to Coin. And of the two of them, Hamish is in a is in a slightly more mentally stable state, which just shows how. How low the bar is for mental stability right now. Uh, Hamish's room is already a mess, even just from the short amount of time they've stayed there. Uh, dirty dishes, half-eaten food, empty bottles, all the wonderful stuff. And he's currently passed out on the bed. Um, takes Katniss a few tries to wake him up, and she resorts to dumping cold water on him. Call back to that moment in Catching Fire, and he's still wielding a knife, by the way. Um... When Katniss tells him that she needs her help, Hamish, of course, uh, answers in a loving, sarcastic, and asshole way that only Hamish can. He's like, what is it, sweetheart? More boy trouble? This is clearly not the time or place for comments like that. Like, maybe Catching Fire Katniss would have tolerated that, but not now. No, no, no. Not pro immediately in aftermath of losing sister and Mockingjay Katniss. Um... Even Hamish in his drunken state can see that and, you know, he does his best to go after Katniss after she takes off, but, of course, trips and stumbles on the way out and Katniss is already gone and hiding by the time he makes it out the door. 
Uh, and like guards eventually find her, take her back to her room where Hamish is waiting with food and a bath that someone uh, drew for her, you know, tries to get her to talk again, which of course she doesn't. Um, the next morning, Katniss is greeted by her prep team. And this is, you know, when she realizes that this must be the day of Snow's execution. Um, after they get her to Beauty Base Zero and back in the bedroom, there's another surprise waiting for Katniss or someone and Evie's finally back. I have missed her. The movies made the right call in keeping her involved more and bringing her to 13. Um, Katniss describes Effie as remarkably unchanged except for the vacant look in her eyes. And, you know, and later we're told that Plutarch and Hamish had a hard time keeping her alive after she was imprisoned. So we don't know too much about what's been going on with Effie from the end of Catching Fire to now. But whatever it was, definitely was no picnic. Like, no, personally, I think Effie was initially imprisoned by the Capitol after everything that went down in the quarter quell. Um, and, you know, it, it didn't take long for them to realize that she doesn't know any rebel plans. Um, we do also learn that other, es- that, you know, other escorts, stylists, and prep teams who have been involved with the games had been executed. So, you know, how the heck's Effie still alive? I I, I think it's probably a mix of Effie having some connections in the capital because she does rise to a minor uh, celebrity status after the 74th Games. And maybe, I don't know, maybe the capital was hoping to use her to get to Katniss if necessary. And um, in the aftermath of the Rebels winning and Coin taking over and maybe being a little too eager to execute people who had anything to do uh, with uh, politics or the Hunger Games, I, I can see why uh, Plutarch and Hamish had to work to keep Effie alive. Um, but anyway, let me know what you guys think. Um, you know, you can tell me through any social media platforms I'm on. Links in the show notes, like always. Um, oh yeah, by the way, Katniss's prep team is the only one left alive, which has to be really bizarre for them because, like, they were essentially kidnapped from their home. Okay, not essentially, they were kidnapped and uh they came home and like so many people they knew in their day-to-day lives are just gone like all their co-workers are gone because the other prep teams were their co-workers essentially it'd be weird you know if i went on vacation and came back to uh the office and no one was there that's not a very good comparison but it's the only one i can think of right now so it's staying in the episode <laughs> uh anyway after the team gets her ready gail finally shows up about time you showed your face, motherfucker. Um, and if if I were there, I'd be telling Katniss to punch you, for the record. Um, and the two of them are left alone after the team leaves. And a moment of silence passes. Um, Katniss uh, does some reminiscing about the early days of their friendship. Things are very different now. Uh, Gail sets off another ding on the red flag counter because instead of, oh, I don't know, apologizing for not coming to see her at all since her little sister uh, began resting in pieces. That was horrible. So sorry. Still not cutting it from the episode. Uh, Anyway, Gail starts the conversation by being like, hey, here's an arrow. It's for the execution, obviously. Uh, you know, symbolic uh, final shot of the war, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, Katniss uh, doesn't want to linger on the bullshit and cuts to the chase. Uh, calls him out for not visiting her in the hospital and asks him, like, uh, hey, motherfucker, was that your bomb? And that's the exact quote from the book. 
clearly. <laughs> and as much as I love shitting on Gail, I do give him credit for being honest in this moment because he tells her he doesn't know for sure if it was his if it was his bomb. After all, it worked exactly like the one he and Beatty designed. But, you know, surely a game maker could come up with a bomb like that, right? Um, no, it was totally Gail's bomb. Um, but for the record, I know we like to make jokes about how Gail dropped bombs on Katniss's sister, and I do laugh every time. Um, it's important to remember that Gail was in the middle of trying to get away from the peacekeepers that had captured him when the when the bombs dropped like uh he did not give the order for that he had no idea prim would be there like like Cadis and us uh we thought prim would be safe in 13 this whole time he still uh created the horrible weapon but he absolutely had no intention for the bombs to kill prim which i guess could be some kind of lesson about how to be careful of the things you create particularly deadly weapons capable of mass destruction because y'all never know where uh what's gonna happen and you can't control it once it's out there in the universe. Um yeah, it's a lesson Tony Stark learned the hard way. Uh Gail also acknowledges the reality that he and Katniss will never be close again. I mean, they had been drifting apart slowly throughout this whole book. Um, but this really seals the deal. Uh, because as he as he says, Katniss will never be able to separate him from Prim's death. Then he gives uh, her the arrow, tells her to shoot straight, and leaves. First of all, Gail, how dare you steal Peta's line. Um, second, this is thankfully the last time we have to see his face in this series. So it's a win. I'll take it. Um, I also remember the first time reading this and thinking how weird it was that Gail never reached out and just kind of left things after that. Um, in the movies, it's more final. Like Kat, like when Katniss is like, goodbye, Gail. Um, but here it's a little bit more open-ended, but kind of reflects on real life, unfortunately. Because, you know, people you you grew up with, um, who you thought you would be in your life uh, forever, just they're suddenly not. And now I'm sad thinking about this, so let's move on! And Effie then escorts Katniss to some meeting before the show, and she expects it to be some, you know, production meeting with Plutarch. But instead, she's in a room with all these surviving victors. Six total, plus Katniss. So, lucky number seven, I guess. Which is crazy to think about how um, they are the only surviving victors. So we got P Katniss, Peta, Hamish, Joanna, Annie, Beattie, and Anabaria. Because um, there had been a whole last victor's purge, guys. Uh, basically, the capital murdered any victors not safely tucked away in 13 that they thought were with the rebels. And the rebels executed victors who were capital loyalists. Only reason Anabaria survived um, is because uh, she was one of the victors Katniss named as a group of victors that should be granted immunity in the Mockingjay deal. Because, you know, if Katniss hadn't named... And Abaria, you know, the vote they, they're about to do would have been tied. Um, we'll get to that in a second. Um, Coin's here now, so yay. Um, at least she gets right to the point of the meeting. She's like, okay, team, so it's a very exciting day. We're going to kill Snow. And then in the following days, we're going to totally e execute his, you know, highest ranking followers. However, it seems not quite enough to make up for everything. So I had this totally amazing idea. You know, instead of just, you know, 
uh, instead of just killing everyone with a capital pedigree like some people wanted to do uh, to satisfy their need for vengeance, we should have one final symbolic Hunger Games using children of high-ranking members of the capital, right? I mean, it's only fair. I mean, it's a, that's totally how sound coin, coin sounds, by the way, guys. Definitely how Julianne Moore played it in the movie. Uh... And I mean, if it wasn't obvious that Snow is shady as fuck and not a good person, this, this, this is the biggest flag right here. Giant red flag. Big as the building. It is light up neon red flag right here. Um, with a sign pointing at Coin saying, I'm a bad person. Um, fuck Coin. At least Snow is honest about who he is. Um, th- this is how low the fucking bar is when it comes to leaders in Pan Am, apparently. And like... I remember reading this for the first time, and I, again, I just, just like with Prim Zeth, could not wrap my head around this, and I remember not understanding why, like, because the big bad had been defeated, why are we doing this with only, like, 50 pages to go, and of course, this is supposed to be a whole lesson about how things aren't uh, black and white, the good guy, good guys aren't good just because they say so, blah, 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 but yeah, it was a lot for 14-year-old Allison. And I definitely didn't grasp Katniss's choice in the next moment. Um, you know, it wasn't obvious until the end of the chapter, but we'll, we'll get there in a second. Um, anyway, Coin is then like, uh, so yeah, that's my, it, it's like, it's my idea, but it should totally be your guys' decision. You know, the victors who have been through the exact terrible thing I'm proposing. Uh, you can vote. Uh, no one can choose uh, not to vote. And um, if you... And if you vote to continue this uh, terrible cycle of violence, then I'm going to totally give you guys the credit and make myself look better. And this is totally going to be the last Hunger Games, guys. No way will there, will there be another one after this. And, you know, for some reason that does happen, then everyone will know it was you guys who voted for this. Uh, again, totally how she sounds. Exact quote from the book, guys. Exact quote from the book. Uh, anyway, Peter being the wonderful person he is, immediately says, fuck no. Joanna says, heck yes, because more than fair, even points out Snow has a granddaughter, eye for an eye and all that shit. Um, and Abaria votes yes, because, you know, again, eye for an eye. They should have a taste of what it's like, too. Only fair in her eyes. Um, Annie votes no and makes it clear that Finnick um, would have voted no, too, if he were there. And I'm crying again. BD votes no because he's a reasonable person who's more level-headed and slightly less traumatized than the other victors around him. And he knows that the solution won't work in the long run. And it's interesting because he and Gail both in- together invented the horrible uh, weapon that killed Prim's sister. But but while Gail is still very much like, you know, war, woohoo, BD's still a bit more rational. I know. I don't know how to articulate it. It's just really interesting to see that dynamic. Um, maybe one day I'll be able to articulate it, but not today, because today I am tired. Um, what am I? Where am I? Oh, and oh, right. Uh, there's so uh, there's this really great uh, uh passage on page uh three seventy. I'm just gonna read it for you guys real quick. Was it like this then, seventy five years or so ago? Did a group of people sit sit around and cast their votes on in, enacting the Hunger Games? Was there a dissent? Did someone make a, a case for mercy that was beaten down by the calls for the deaths of the district's children? The scent of snows is 
snow's rose curls up into my nose down into my throat squeezing it tight with despair all those people i love dead and we are discussing the next hunger games in an attempt to avoid wasting life nothing has changed nothing will ever change now I mean, we know part of the history now that a drunk college student came up with the idea for the games and then after the Capitol, you know, won, a crazy uh, doctor lady dug up the assignment and was like, hey, yo, guys, we should totally impl- do uh, this do this thing and just keep it going for 70-something years at least. It's awesome. Uh. Anyway, um, so... Now it's down to Katniss and Hamish's vote. Uh, Katniss votes yes, and again, did not understand her decision at first. Clearly, I wasn't paying an- attention enough when I was reading for the first time. I think I'm, I must have been speed, speed reading at the end the first time because I just wanted all the pain to be over. But obviously, Katniss had her reasons. Uh, Pete is me in this moment, you know, horrified and like begging Hamish, no, vote no, please don't. God, vote no, but Hamish is watching Katniss trying to get a read on her. And this is the moment, the ultimate test of just how well um, Hamish knows Katniss, and he and um, he passes because he votes yes by saying, I'm with the Mockingjay. Coin's thrilled because now she believes that Katniss is on her side and, you know, her plans have all fallen into place. Because, <laughs> you know, Katniss was the last thing that she didn't have under control. Uh, hate to break this to you, Coin, but no one really has Katniss under their control. Um, Katniss gives Coin the rose and is like, hey, new bestie, can you make sure that Coin wears this when I shoot him? And Coin's like, oh my god, Yes! And I'm totally going to tell him about the games. It'll be great. And then everyone's in places for showtime. Crowd cheers when Katniss comes out to her place. Of course, uh, crowd goes even more insane when Snow is brought out and tied to the post in front of Katniss, only about 10 yards away. And uh, let's just read the last bit of this chapter. I feel the bow purring in my hand. Reach back and grasp the arrow. Position it. Aiming at the rose, but watch his face. He coughs and a bloody dribble runs down his chin. His tongue flickers over his puffy lips. I search his eyes for the slightest sign of anything. Fear, remote, remorse, anger. But there's only the same look of amusement that ended our last conversation. It's as if he's speaking the words again. Oh my dear Miss Everdeen, I thought we had agreed not to lie to each other. He's right, we did. The point of my arrow shifts upward. I release the string, and President Coyne collapses over the side of the balcony and plunges to the ground, dead. Boom! Boss move right there. Really, all I can say, good for her. Good for her. We'll unpack um, all that when we come back after uh, break time. Because, in summary, Coyne deserved it. we're back and at the last full chapter of the book ah, you can do this Allison. you can do this okay uh so we pick up right where we left off um katniss has achieved her goal of assassinating a president just not the one she thought she would originally um and a trigger warning reminder because this is where the dangerous intrusive unaliving thoughts occur um 
So anyway, uh, first thing Katniss uh, processes in the aftermath of all of this is Snow's laughter, which in the movie sounds like an evil Santa Claus. I don't know what I thought Snow's laughter sounded like when I read this for the first time, but that's all I hear now. And it haunts my nightmares to this day. Thank you for that, Donald Sutherland. Um, also, as he's laughing, he starts to cough, coughing on his own blood. So that's a lovely thing to imagine. But then again, it's snow, so good. I hope it's unpleasant. Actually, I'm going to backtrack a minute and just read this first page because uh, pr a pretty profound uh, Everlark moment happens here. In the stunned reaction that follows, I'm aware of one sound, Snow's laughter, an awful gurgling cackle accommodated by an eruption of foamy blood when the coughing begins. I see him bend forward, spitting out his life, until the guards block him from my sight. As the gray uniforms begin to converge on me, I think of what my brief future as the assassin of Panem's new, new president holds. The interrogation, probable torture, certain public execution, having yet again to say my final goodbyes to the handful of people who still maintain a hold on my heart. The prospect of facing my mother, who will now be entirely alone in the world, decides it. Good night, I whisper to the bow in my hand and feel it go still. I raise my left arm and twist my neck down to rip off the pill on my sleeve. Instead, my teeth sink into flesh. I yank my head back in confusion to find myself looking into Peta's eyes. Only now they hold my gaze. Blood runs from the teeth marks on, on the hand as he clamps over my, my nightlock. Let me go, I snarl at him, trying to rest my arm from his grasp i can't he says as he as they pull me away from him i feel the pocket ripped from my sleeve I see the deep vi violet pill fall to the ground watch sinna's last gift get crunched under a guard's boot i transform into a wild animal kicking clawing biting do whatever i can to free myself from this web of hands as the crowd pushes in the guards lift me above the fray where I continue to thrash as I'm as I'm conveyed over the crush of people. I start screaming for Gale. I can't find him in the throng, but he will know what I want. A good clean shot to end it all. Only there's no arrow, no bullet. Is it possible he can't see me? No. Above us on the giant screen placed around the city circle, everyone can watch the whole thing being played out. He sees, he knows but he doesn't follow through, just as I didn't when he was captured. Sorry excuse for hunters and friends, both of us. I'm on my own. So this is a lot, but I don't want to dive too deep into this because, you know, it's very clear what's happening, and I can't for my own sanity because this is part of why I had to take a break. Because, um, yeah, reading through these last few chapters, it, it was a lot. And to be clear, like, reading this doesn't really feel how do i put this exploitative like it's very raw and honest and really still hard to read but you still make sure you're mentally in a mentally stable state it's still rough um anyway the guards are then uh, cuff and blindfold katniss uh move her around and they drop her off at her old bedroom in the tribute center um despite how empty the room is um even to the point where the bed was stripped of sheets um she still recognizes it also, I'm like 98% sure that the reason the room has been stripped of everything, including the bed sheets, was because um they wanted to make sure Katniss wouldn't use them to um make 
impulsive decisions. Again, not going to dive too deep into the next couple of pages because shit is dark. Um, but then we have one of the most beautiful um, parts of the book happened. Uh, it's on page 376. I plan to slow death by morphling. I will become a yellow-skinned bag of bones with enormous eyes. I'm a couple of days into the plan, making good progress. When something unexpected happens, I begin to sing. At the window, in the shower, in my sleep, hour after hour of ballads, love songs, mountain airs, all the songs my father taught me before he died, for certainly there has been very little music in my life since. What's amazing is how clearly I, I remember them, the tunes, the lyrics. My voice, at first rough and breaking on the high notes, warms up into something splendid, a voice that would make the mocking jays fall silent and then tumble over themselves to join in. Days passed, weeks. I watch the snow fall on the ledge outside my window, and in that time, mine is the only voice I hear. I love this moment so much because music is truly healing, and it's a shame they couldn't really show this in the movie. I mean, if you want a good example of music saving someone's life, um, just watch the Dear Billy episode of Stranger Things Season 4. And... Also, knowing of, like, Katniss's very likely um, familial connection to the Covey, like, the songs she's singing are probably ones Lucy Gray sang. I love it. Like, she's not physically here, but Lucy Gray's spirit is helping Katniss through her legacy of music, and it's beautiful. Um, hi, guys. I love Lucy Gray, and I'm insufferable about it, so I bring her up whenever I can. And this is part of the reason why I subscribe to the Lucy Gray is Greasy Say theory, so I can just talk about her more. Uh, anyway, so Katniss is fully expecting them to execute her and is wondering, you know, what's taking them so long. Um, then she's terrified that they'll do something worse than kill her. And we get a wonderfully dark uh, passage almost immediately after the one about music helping Katniss heal a bit there because, you know, healing is messy and not a linear path that only goes steadily up. No, 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 not how it works. It's, it's a mess. It's all over the place. I won't do it. If I can't kill myself in this room, I will take the first opportunity outside of it to finish the job. They can fatten me up. They can give me a full bo body polish dress me up and make me beautiful again they can design dream weapons that come to life in my hands but they will never again brainwash me into the necessity of using them i no longer feel any allegiance to these monsters called human beings despite being one myself i think that Peta was on to something about us destroying one another and letting some decent species take over because something is significantly wrong with a creature that sacrifices its children's lives to settle its differences. You can't spin it any way you can spin it any way you like. Snow thought of the hunger Snow thought the hunger games were an efficient means of control. Coin thought the parachutes would ex expedite the war, but in the end, who does it benefit? No one. The truth is it benefits no one to live in a world where these things happen. I mean she's got a point. Just look at history. Like, human beings, we're capable of some pretty evil shit. You don't even have to look that far back. Reminder, war crimes are still being committed in Ukraine, guys. Uh, so after two days of uh, Katniss in her room, not moving, uh, Hamish comes to see her. Uh, he tells Katniss that her trial is over and they're going home. 
a team of strangers, Bay's Katniss, gets her ready and carries her up to the roof where there's a hovercraft waiting to take her home. Uh, Hamish and Plutarch sit across from her, and Plutarch's in a very good mood. I mean, all his dreams have come true, so why wouldn't he be, I guess? Uh, but anyway, he catches us up to speed on what's been happening in the world since, you know, Katniss shot Coin, who no one really liked in the first place. Because, like, after um, Doc- Dr. A successfully convinces everyone that Katniss is a hopeless, shell-shocked lunatic and executing her would be inhumane, everyone everyone just ran with it. They were like, okay, cool, we'll just uh, send her back to 12 because no one really knows. Uh, no one really wants to go there anyway, so it's basically exile and we don't really know what to do with her. So an emergency election was held. Paler is now president, which is the best thing to come out of this war, I think, um, because the leader should be someone who, you know, grew up in the districts who, like, understands the pain that so much of the population has endured, but also someone who isn't as traumatized as the victors, you know, didn't grow up in an underground bunker and didn't interact with the country firsthand that they want to rule uh so anyway paler all that to say paler is the correct choice for a leader for pen m also plutarch is secretary of communications which sounds like a job that suits him oh and by the way snow was like dead dead um he died either choking on his blood or from being trampled by the crowd either way he's dead so yay and mrs everdeen continues to be mother of the year she won't go back to 12 with katniss uh, you know, too too many painful memories for her, but somehow it's okay for Katniss. Um, Hamish is now Katniss's legal guardian for the time being. Again, if Hamish is the better guardian, you have problems, Mrs. Everdeen. Um, and instead of being there for her daughter, Mrs. Everdeen is going to go help uh, set up a hospital in District 4. But this is also, at the same time, maybe the best thing mrs everdeen ever did for katniss as a parent either way it's still fucked up um oh we also get this really a thoughtful moment from plutarch on page uh, 379 and it's one of his most famous quotes from the book so i'll read it for you guys are you preparing for another war plutarch i ask oh not now now we're in that sweet period where everyone agrees that our recent horror should never be repeated he says but collective thinking is usually short-lived we're fickle, stupid beings with poor memories and a great gift for self-destruction. Although, who knows? Maybe this will be it, Katniss. What? I ask. The time it sticks. Maybe we are witnessing the evolution of the human race. Think about that. And then he asked me if I'd like to perform on a new singing program he's launching in a few weeks. Something upbeat would be good. He'll send a crew to my house. Oh, Plutarch. He says something profound and then says something little tone deaf but whatever um that i mean that's that, that, was, that was some brutal honesty right there about how we're good at repeating our mistakes as human beings but yeah we don't have time to unpack all that um so when we get back to 12 um they're dropped off at their houses in the victor's village uh no sign of Peta because he's still recovering in the capital hospitals uh, Hamish tells Katniss, see you tomorrow, and Katniss doubts that, and she's right too. Uh, luckily, Greasy Say comes around to take care of her, and Katniss, and good thing too, because Katniss has shut down and does not move from her chair except to use the restroom. She doesn't even change clothes. Um, so Greasy Say and her granddaughter, uh, come by twice a day to cook for Katniss, you know, make sure she eats the food and clean up. 
um such a basic but so important thing and it's even better if she really is lucy gray because the first girl from 12 to win the games and you know kind of fuck shit up in in snow's world is now taking care of the last girl from 12 to win and you know fucked up snow's world beautiful and likely family because it's just saying because um I think because I think most of the fandom has agreed that of all members of the Covey, Katniss is most likely to be a descendant of Maud Ivory, and Maud Ivory and Lucy Gray were cousins, so they are still family. Uh. But yeah, and uh, during one of the visits, Greasy Say suggests that Katniss um, should go hunting because spring is in the air, and uh, this is the round around the time Katniss finally moves out of the living moves. The li- out of the living room like you know physically moves around um insert you know awakening healing and spring metaphors here i guess um katniss uh doesn't go hunting that day but she does uh go upstairs and goes into the study for the first time and there she finds the box with her stuff from 13 including the family book um and that night katniss sleeps on the couch in the living room and of course as nightmares where she's being buried alive by the people who are now dead in horrifying to say the least um when katniss wakes up she still hears the sound of shovel scraping which naturally freaks her out so she runs outside to find where the sound's coming from but it's not the dead haunting her it's Peta dinging up the ground under one of the windows and because he's planting primroses my heart (laughs) and he and you know of course to honor prim and it's beautiful and he also reminds katniss to pick up the phone because dr a keeps calling her and that he can't pretend he's treating her forever um and for anyone that might have doubts as to whether or not Peta is well or a danger to katniss let's just set the record straight right here right now page 382 it says here quote he looks well Thin and covered with with burn scars like me, but his eyes have lost that clouded, tortured look. Quote, right right there. That's how we know that we have the old PETA back. Uh, anyway, Katniss then runs inside to make her, and makes her way into her bedroom for the first time. And the stupid white rose is still there. And the scent too. So Katniss burns the rose in the fireplace. So, because, you know, very symbolic. Katniss's fire burning snow's symbol rose away. And she goes, um, she opens the windows to air out the smell and finally takes a shower. Uh, when Greasy Say comes by to make breakfast, Katniss also burns the clothes she had been wearing for weeks and cuts her nails with a knife. And this is when Katniss finally learns where Gail has gone. Uh, Greasy Say tells her that Gail has gotten a fancy job in District 2 and he occasionally appears on television. And Katniss feels relief at the news, so even more evidence that there was never a Team Gale, people. And uh, this is the day Katniss finally goes out to go hunting. Yay! Um, though this is though this is also the day we get confirmation that Ma- Madge and her whole family died in the fire bombing. So, less yay. Also, I don't know how I miss this detail every single time, but... The meadow has been dug up to be a massive grave for the people of Twelve. And I don't know, I always thought that line in the epilogue about her children playing on a graveyard was a metaphor. I I was very, very wrong about that. Uh, Don't ask me how I missed that detail, I just did. 
And Katniss um, doesn't catch anything that day because of the burst of energy she had that morning is gone and she's sick and dizzy. So the only thing she can do is go back to the house and uh, Thom, one of uh, Gail's old mining buddies who came back, um, has to give her a ride in the back of the cart used for all the dead people. Anyway, and there's another um, surprise waiting when she gets back. Um, because once again, Buttercup manages to defy the odds and make it back home on his own. On foot. He is the world's toughest cat. And this is when Katniss, like, really breaks down. And, like, this is the point where she really screams about Prim's death. And, like, she says it out loud that Prim is dead. Uh, it's so sad. But I have to read it, of course. A new sound, part crying, part singing, comes out of my body, giving voice to my despair. Buttercup begins to wail as well. No matter what I do, he won't go. He circles me, just out of reach, as wave after wave of sobs racks my body, until eventually I fall unconscious. But he must understand. He must know that the unthinkable has happened, and to survive will require previously unthinkable acts. Because hours later, when I come to in my bed, he's there in the moonlight, crouched beside me, yellow eyes alert, guarding me from the night. Just like he did with Prim, guys, by the way. Uh. In the morning, he sits stoically as I clean the cuts, but digging the thorn from his paw brings on a round of those emus. We both end up crying again, only this time we comfort each other. On the strength of this, I open the letter Hamish gave me from my mother, dial the phone number, and weep with her as well. Pita, bearing a warm loaf of bread, shows up with greasy say. He makes us breakfast and I feed all my bacon to Buttercup. Slowly, with many lost days, I come back to life. I try to follow Dr. Aurelius's advice, just going through the motions, amazed when, when one finally has meaning again. I tell him my idea about the book, and a large box of parchment sheets arrives on the next train from the capital. I got the idea from our family's plant book, the place where we recorded those things you cannot, you cannot trust to memory. The page begins with the person's picture, a photo if we can find it, if not a sketch or painting by PETA. Then in my most careful handwriting come all the details it would be a crime to forget. The lady licking Prim's cheek, my father's laugh, PETA's father with the cookies, the color of Finnick's eyes, what Cinna could do with a length of silk, Boggs reprogramming the hollow, Rue poised on her toes, arms slightly extended like a bird about to take flight, on and on. We seal the pages with salt water and promise. We seal the pages with salt water and promises to live well to make their deaths count. Hamish finally joins us, contributing twenty-three years of tributes he was forced to mentor. Additions become smaller, an old memory that surfaces. A late, a late primrose preserved between the pages. Strange bits of happiness, like the photo of Finnick and Annie's newborn son. We learn to keep busy again. Pita bakes, I hunt. Hamish drinks until the liquor runs out and then raises geese until the next train arrives. Fortunately, the geese can take pretty good care of themselves. We're not alone. A few hundred others return because whatever has happened, this is our home. With the mines closed, they plow the ashes into the earth and plant food. Machines from the capital break ground for a new factory where we will make medicines. 
Although no one sees it, the meadow turns green again. Pete and I grow back together. There are still moments when he clutches the back of a chair and hangs on until the flashbacks are over. I wake screaming from nightmares of mutts and lost children, but his arms are there to comfort me, and eventually his lips. On the night I feel that thing again, the hunger that overtook me on the beach, I know this would have happened anyway, that what I need to survive is not Gail's fire, kindled with rage and hatred. I have plenty of fire myself. What I need is the dandelion in the spring, the bright yellow that means rebirth instead of destruction, the promise that life can go on no matter how bad our loss is, that it can be good again, and only Peta can give me that. So after, when he whispers, you love me, real or not real, I tell him, real. <laughs> Goddamn, that gets me every time. And yes, I just read the whole thing. We're gonna, we're gonna deal with that. Um... So yeah, um, even more confirmation that um, uh, there is no Team Gale. It's spelled out right here that that Katniss, like her, like her and Peta, their values line up. This is what, she, like, he represents the kind of life she wants to live. Gale can't give her that. Oh my God. Speaking and speaking of the life they live. Oh my God. I can't not. I can't not read this beautiful beautiful freaking epilogue guys here we go they play in the meadow the dancing girl with the dark hair and the blue eyes the boy with blonde curls and gray eyes struggling to keep up with her on his chubby toddler legs it took five ten fifteen years for me to agree but Peta wanted them so badly. When I first felt her stirring inside of me, I was consumed with a terror that felt as old as life itself. Only the joy of holding her in my arms could tame it. Carrying him was a little easier, but not much. The questions are just beginning. The arenas have been completely destroyed. The memorials built. There are no more hunger games, but they teach about them at school, and the girl knows we played a role in them. The boy will know in a few years. How can I tell them about the world without frightening them to death? My children, who take the words of the song for granted. Deep in the meadow, under the willow, a bed of grass, a soft green pillow. Lay down your head and close your sleepy eyes, and when again they open, the sun will rise. Here it's safe, here it's warm, here the daisies guard you from every harm. Here your dreams are sweet, and tomorrow brings them true, and here's the place where I love you. My children, who don't know, they play on a graveyard. Peter says it will be okay. We have each other and the book. We can make them understand in a way that will make them braver. But one day I'll have to explain about my nightmares, why they came, why they won't ever really go away. And I'll tell them how I survive it. I'll tell them that on my bad mornings, it feels impossible to take pleasure in anything because I'm afraid it could be taken away. That's when I make a list in my head of every act of goodness I've seen someone do. It's like a game. Repetitive, even a little tedious after more than 20 years. But there are much worse games to play. Uh, chills. Absolute fucking chills every time. And in the movie, like, when she says that, and the music swelling and playing, like, and, like, Rue's music is playing, it makes me want to, like, go back to the beginning like uh 
I'm tired and I have so many emotions, guys. But next time when we're doing the wrap-up episode, I will hopefully be more articulate and less tired. But thank you guys so much for listening. I am an emotional wreck right now and I'll probably get more into it when I'm talking in the wrap-up. But um, Katniss having kids makes sense for the story. I don't care what anyone tries to tell me otherwise. But yeah, um, socials in the show notes, um, all that jazz. Uh, if you leave, don't forget to, you know, rate, review all the stuff I'm supposed to say. And if you leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast, um, like if you write a review and rate it five stars, I'll read it out loud on the show. No matter what it says, it should be fun. <laughs> but seriously, thank you all for sticking with me throughout this. And I hope you have an amazing day slash night. And I'll talk to you next time. Bye!